For over a decade, I shopped and worked at my local comic shop. One of the best parts about hanging out there was comparing notes on what I was reading with folks who shared my passion for comics. My comic shop is gone now, but we can still hold on to the magic of that in-store discussion. This is My Comic Shop Book Club. Welcome to My Comic Shop Book Club. I am your host, Anthony Desiato. Joining me to discuss the Parker graphic novel adaptations by the late, great Darwin Cook uh, is one of my dearest friends from our old comic shop, Alternate Realities, Dr. Bill Mayo. Hey, Anthony. Thanks for uh, letting me join you on this one. I'm really excited by uh, the idea of, of talking about these books with you. I'm, I'm glad that you want, you were on board to do it. I think we'll have a great conversation. And what's funny is I was thinking about this, and correct me if I'm wrong, but for all of the time that you and I spent hanging out at Alternate Realities, I don't know that we spent that much of it talking about comic books. And that was always one of the, you know, one of the special things about the store, right? That we had a lot of other interests, you know, besides just comics. But that being said, you might expect a fair amount of comics talk. And I don't know that, that, <laughs> that we ever did a ton of that, you and I. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. Although your intro is is right on point. As employees, we would oftentimes engage the customers and you know friends of the store. And I feel like we were we talk comic books quite a bit at the store um, with making recommendations and things like that. And um, maybe this was before your time, but when Brandon was an owner, he would let us take the comic books for free. Uh, Steve, if you're listening, don't don't uh, say anything. <laughs> But Brandon would say, you know, take your comic books for home, home for free if you're going to be able to suggest uh, it to one other customer. You know, and in his mind, it paid for itself then. Um, but I always viewed that. So, you know, you would be exploratory. You would, you would look and find things that you wouldn't normally pick up. And, you know, sometimes it would, you would stumble on something great. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, you're referring to, you know, former um, co-owner of Alternate Realities, Brandon Montclair, who's gone on to have a career uh, as, as an editor and as a writer. And uh, yeah, that was kind of before my time, that whole bit about bringing books home. But I think it makes perfect sense. And I think that's really yeah. cool. So we are going to be talking, uh, as I said, about uh, Darwin Cook's adaptations of the Parker books. So there were these novels, of course, written by uh, Donald Westlake under the pen name Richard Stark, right? So there was this uh, novel character, and then Darwin Cook uh, adapted four of the stories. So the the four uh, volumes that we're talking about are The Hunter, The Outfit, uh, The Score, and Slayground. And, you know, there were plans for more. Um, unfortunately, you know, Darwin Cook passed before uh, that, that could come to pass. But um, it was, this was a really fascinating reading experience for me uh, for reasons, you know, we, we can talk about. But I'm curious what, you know, what your experience was. And you actually went a step beyond me because you read <laughs> and I was blown away that you even wanted to do this. I really, really appreciated it. Um, but you actually read one of, one of the, was the, is this the first Parker novel? Right. So I went and tracked down The Hunter so I would be able to compare directly with the first graphic novel. And, you know, Anthony, I read these books when they first came out, well, maybe they are 10 years ago. I don't even know what the copyright date on these things are. Yeah, I think the first one was 2009, I want to say. 2009. Yeah. So it was right before I left uh, pretty much to come out here to New Mexico. I left uh, in 2010. So I would have been still coming to the store. I probably bought this copy at Alternate Realities. Um, and I remember when I read them, they were just uh, incredible, right? I really just got drawn into the story, a little bit different than anything I had read before. By the end of my comic book kind of career, I had veered off from superhero books, and I was kind of into the independent stuff anyway. So this really drew me in uh, for sure. Uh, but in going back to read them again for this uh, podcast, I really wanted to see how they compared to the novelization. 
And I wasn't going to be able to do all four, but I figured I would at least start with the first one and, and just see, you know, where Darwin got the inspiration for doing something like this. Um, what I think is kind of amazing is you think of Darwin Cook, immediately you think of New Frontier, right? Something that he wrote and he did the art for. This is quite different, right? So he has the story and now he's the storyteller in just art form. And I was kind of curious to see how he adapted it. You know, in, in reading a page from this and then reading a page from this, this man is the most amazing, like, storyboard artist um, that you can I, – I mean, I, I was blown away, absolutely blown away. Uh, insofar as I feel like this novel was like the key to understanding a lot of the panels in this book, right? So, you know, there's a lot that goes into storytelling. I don't know if you ever read that book by Scott McCloud on like understanding comics. I really haven't. Cool I mean, I certainly know of it. I remember seeing it at the comic shop. Um, I, yeah, I can't say that I ever uh, read the entire thing. Well, it's, it's an interesting rate, and he talks about like what happens in between the panels, and you know how much you can actually pack into a panel, and a lot of the panels in the Parker novels are no text, right? There's some action going on. And, you know, so often in like reading a comic book, like a superhero comic book, you know, I think me, you, Rich, a lot of people just joke, you can read a modern comic book in 10 seconds, right? Because it's just like splash page, junk, 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 junk. But there was so much that went into each one of these panels. Like he'll take a page from this novel and turn it into a panel in the book. Like how he might, dis like how might Richard Stark might have, um, describe the scene, right? And then you see how Darwin, you know, basically acted it out on paper. It, it was just incredible. Um, we could talk more about that in a second, but I had never seen Darwin um, in that capacity before. Because really, you know, I read a lot of Darwin stuff, but I feel like it's the stuff that he did himself where he wrote it. He had the own his own idea in his head, but this was quite different. And I think he excelled at it. Yeah, for sure. And I mean, I, I agree with that, even without having read the novel. And I, I, I wish I had. I'm sure. I mean, it sounds like you got a lot out of being able to compare the two. And maybe at some point I would go back and, and read at least one yeah. of the novels because I think it would be really interesting. But, um, you know, it's funny that you, you know, you mentioned that, you know, people probably you know think of New Frontier when they think of Darwin Cook. And, you know, that's the thing in selecting these books for this book club and we're still relatively early on in this in this book club podcast you know it would have been real easy to just go right into you know new frontier um or, or right. even as catwoman run you know some of the you know more recognizable superhero work that he did and like we'll get to all of that you know <laughs> later yeah, on yeah, in the yeah. podcast series but i really thought like it would be cool i mean i know these you know these are certainly well known, but uh, I think probably among the general comics fans if there's if there are works of cooks that they haven't read there's a decent chance that that these books are might might be in that category, and so I thought it would be cool to kind of shine a light on, uh, you know, really his his final works and and really powerful, really strong. I mean, I I can't stress how much I enjoyed uh, my reading project. It was such a blast. Yeah. yeah. It's unlike other books you've read before, right? Because you're not always uh, rooting for the antihero, right? And and Parker is very much that antihero. He's a guy that you really should hate but you're rooting for him the entire time. You know, uh, the first two novels are very um, intertwined in terms of the story. It's, it's really one story broken up over two novels. Um, but you really get the sense where he deserves this revenge that's, you know, against the guy who double crossed him and then, you know, well beyond that guy and into the outfit um, that, you know, wronged him and, and, and by accepting the money that wasn't rightfully theirs. Um, but, it, you know, it was just, you know, the whole time you're just like, man, this guy's killing people. This guy, you know, 
you know, mercilessly killed this poor girl that didn't even deserve it. He kind of has remorse, but not really. But then you're just like, I, I hope he gets the guy. <laughs> you know, you're just rooting for him the whole time. And that's, that's just not a common thing um, in, in media, I think. Exactly. I know that was a really fascinating aspect of this. And I think that's a testament to, you know, to both creators, to, um, you know, to Donald Westlake and to Darwin Cook to, you know, have you rooting for this character who, you know, really you probably shouldn't be. But, you know, within the context of the story and the, I mean, these are hard boiled crime fiction stories, no doubt about it. Yeah. But, you know, within that, it's all relative. So I feel like with, you know, with Parker, you know, he does seem to have somewhat of a, of a code and, you know, he is violent, but he doesn't seem to, he's not sadistic about it. And it's not unnecessary, in his mind, I guess, it's not unnecessary. Right? He doesn't kill unless he has to. Right. Right. Um, or in the case of, you know, his quest for revenge, where, you know, it, it really is, you know, uh, justified, at least, you know, at least from his perspective. Yeah. You know, yeah. but like he's not, he's not presented as a, you know, a, a, as a monster and com- held up against, you know, the, these people who have, be- these other criminals who have betrayed him. Uh, right. Yeah, I mean, you really do find yourself rooting for him for sure. Yeah, 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 absolutely. And uh, you know, and and you know, most of the people that he interacts with know him, right? And they know his backstory. And in some cases, they're terrified of this guy. And so we don't know the whole backstory of Parker. Uh, the novel talks about how he's been doing this for 18 years, which is basically he has this routine where he pulls one or two jobs a year, kind of just to make money to float him for the rest of the year. Uh, but I guess he works with so many nefarious characters in the crime world that everybody knows Parker to the point where they're all scared of this guy, except the, you know, the outfit guys who don't know him yet. And then, you know, they, they fear him, sure, towards the end and what he's capable of. It's, it's, it's a nice, like, you know, the one-man army kind of taking on the big uh, corporation, so to speak, except in this case, the corporation's like the mob. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, it was this was interesting because I... And I guess just to talk about Darwin Cook himself for a little bit. So uh, I think I first, you know, met him through his work with the backup stories in Detective Comics that he did with Ed Brubaker, the Slam Bradley shorts that led okay. into Selena's big score, followed right. by the first few issues of the Catwoman ongoing series that he drew uh, with Ed Brubaker. So that was really my introduction to his work. And so, you know, I was there and on board when New Frontier came out. And, you know, to this day, it is one of my all time favorite comic book stories. Uh, again, we'll cover it on the podcast down the line. Uh, and then, you know, over the years, I've read you know, most of his other comic book work, you know, as, as I think most fans know, and it's, it's included in his bio, uh, you know, in the graphic novels, you know, he had a very successful career in animation. He famously did the storyboard art for the opening sequence to Batman Beyond, which was very distinct, very iconic. Oh, yeah. And then he, you know, he segued into, into comics and, and, you know, created all these wonderful works. But I think because he started a bit later and he, his, his passing was so untimely, you know, when you look at his comic book bibliography, I mean, there's a ton of cover work, but when you're talking about interiors, it's not, it's not, you know, uh, that voluminous, really. So much so that, you know, we were trying to decide what to, what to pick for this episode. Like I sent you a list of all of his stuff and, you know, there's a lot, but it was, you know, not an unmanageable list. Um, so again, I've, I've already read most of his stuff, not all of it. And there are a couple of other things that I'm looking forward to revisiting or not revisiting, discovering for the first time. And that was one of the things that was so special about this reading project, because I had read the first volume of Parker when it came out and I enjoyed it. I don't think I fully appreciated it the way I did this time, but I did enjoy it. And I bought volumes two through four 
And it was one of those cases, those classic instances of it sitting on the shelf yep. for literally a decade and, you know, just kind of always intending to get to it, but not getting to it until now. But it ended up, it felt like such a gift um, to be able to read these now because it was, it was new to me, Darwin Cook work. And that was something that, you know, you, you yeah. didn't come across again. So that was really special. Yeah, I mean, I tell you, I read these when they first came out. I was a big fan, uh, so much so that I got an original pay, uh, piece of artwork from Darwin of Hunter because I loved the uh, uh, the story so much. But having said that, ten years go by, Anthony. They've been sitting on my shelf, and I read them again, and I was like, I don't even remember reading these. <laughs> it was like reading them for the first time, and I think a lot of a lot of stuff that I keep, um, I always like to every few years take another read. Like a year doesn't go by that I don't read like The Dark Knight Returns and things like that. Some really key books. And I feel like you always discover something. And, you know, I'm glad that you took these off the shelf and, and read them. And it was probably the right time. Had you read them a couple of years ago, maybe you wouldn't have gotten the same sort of, uh, you know, punch or feeling out of them as you did now. Um, Darwin is, is a, a great guy. Um, talking about his untimely passing. I remember when he announced that he had cancer on Facebook, he was dead a week later. Um, it was a really sad time. It was unexpected. Um, I was sort of in his crowd, but not in his main crowd. So uh, some of the guys like Ben DeFeo, Jim Clancy, Randy House, I don't know if you know these guys. They're like big art collectors um, from back in the day that I was friends with. And I was part of like the Phil Noto crowd, Brian Stelfreeze, Adam Hughes. Darwin Cook was, you know, Darwin, you know, you love Darwin, but I was never part of that clique. Like those guys got to go to his wedding and really uh, became more than fans. They became, you know, his friends. Uh, I don't know if you read the, uh, and by the way, Jim Clancy used to be a, a, a customer at Alternate Realities. Yeah, so I, I definitely know, know, yes, I know Jim Clancy. Uh, you know, did, did you see him in the acknowledgments? I saw him in the acknowledgments. I saw him in the yeah. book. Yeah, he's in the book. <laughs> it's yeah, crazy, right? Like pretty, prominently, pretty prominently, actually. Yeah, I was trying to call him, but I couldn't get to. Uh, but Jim was actually the guy who got me the Darwin Cook artwork. And so, uh, you know, Jim was part of the crowd. I forgot what it was, but he won like a chance to go to lunch with him, but he was always already friends with him. And, and it was like, you know, lunch plus, you know, Darwin will do an art piece for you uh, while you're sitting at the table. And, and Jim was like, I don't even want the art. I just want to go to lunch with Darwin. What do you want? I said, Oh, do Parker with a girl. And she has to have granny panties on. He's like, okay. <laughs> yeah. For people watching the video version of this, Bill, Bill is holding up the artwork right now. <laughs> there you go. And it's wonderful, right? I mean, at the time I loved Parker. Um, and I still do. And especially more so, you know, after having read these and, and, you know, I'm going to be honest with you. I feel like the Hunter and the outfit are two that I will pick up and read again. Uh, whereas the Slayground and also the score, they didn't have quite the same impact as on me as the other novel did. I feel like, like I was saying before, the other two are just like reading one story over two parts. And it's a great story about revenge. And, you know, there's this betrayal from, from a wife in it um, to like a, you know, one of the, his co-conspirators on a, on a heist. Uh, and it goes all the way up the chain. And such a, so it's such a great story and it's self-contained. Whereas the other ones are, you know, Parker in a different light. He's on a heist, he's with a new crew and it's a completely different aspect of him as a character and how he interacts with people. Um, and then Slayground, I really wasn't the biggest fan of. It was kind of a, a strange thing. And you, and you had mentioned that there was four novels that he adapted, but there's a fifth at the, at the end of Slayground. I don't know if you noticed, but the seventh oh, is actually the, yeah. a very short adaptation of the seventh Parker novel, 
that's in here as right. well. Yeah, good. not that it makes much of a difference. No, no, no. Um, but that's a good catch. It's yeah. It's it's funny that you say that because I had a very similar take. I think you can really draw a line uh, between those the first two and the second two. And like you, I I definitely got more out of the hunter and the outfit um, for the reasons that you said. I mean, and it was so personal, right? He was on this quest for revenge. Like you said, he had been betrayed by his wife, one of his co-conspirators. And he, like you said, like he took it all the way up the chain to the top of this criminal organization, the outfit. And, you know, he gets them to to buy him off. Uh, He has to go to great lengths to do that. But then they keep coming after him and he, he, you know, he lets them have it. And it's, again, going back to what you were saying before, it's like, you know, this visceral thrill in watching him, you know, enact his plan and and get his revenge. And then, yeah, with with the the score, uh, yeah, I mean, it's it's all about this heist to to knock off this town, like an entire town. Which is a a very ambitious plot. Yeah. And it's, well, that's the thing. Like it's, it's a, it's a cool story. And then I actually like, I didn't, I thought Slayground was cool, but yeah, there just, there wasn't as much. And it was the shortest of, of all of them. Like it, that was, it read so quick. Like the first, you know, they're all broken up into four books and that one, I think three pages in you're into book two. You're like, what was this? Yeah. (laughs) You know, so fast, (laughs) you know, I'll, I'll admit, I'll admit. So uh, with these various book club, podcasts uh it's kind of varied for me sometimes i've been on top of my homework and i've had the reading done in advance and in other instances it's like i'm back in school and it's like down to the wire and this happened to be a busy work week for me and for various reasons i you know i i was a bit behind and so i don't think i read the the hunter until i don't know tuesday or wednesday like we were getting late into the week here and yeah you know, it took me a little while. I mean, I read it in, in one night, but, you know, it took me a little while. I'm like, man, I got like three more of these. But by the time you get to the score, they get, they're very, the, the, the score and Slayground were a lot breezier uh, yeah. and, and a lot less dense. I felt like they, you know, they moved a lot faster. And it wasn't a story that you had to pay attention to either. It was really just a page turner. You're like, oh, okay, okay, this is Parker killing people. This is Parker robbing a bank. This is, you know, whatever. Whereas the other one's like, there's this convoluted plot and you're trying to keep track of all these characters because there's a lot of characters in the first two books. Yeah. And, you know, I think it's rewarding if you are able to sit down and really pay attention to what you're reading versus just having a passive all just flip through the pages right before a bit. Um, it's a good story um, in those two books. Yeah. I mean, I think that because, you know, when I was when I was initially when I was done, I really um, again, I was like, oh, like I was, you know, I don't know if maybe I was hoping for a little more in, in those second two. But reflecting on it for really only a few hours because I just finished earlier today but I feel like yeah you know it really shows um you know the all the different types of stories that you can tell with Parker and I think that you know they stand out more and they stand apart from the others because we only have these four that he did I think you know if he had gone on and he had end up you know with with you know six or eight or ten of these um you know, then it's like, cool, like you get like all these different types of stories. But since we have so few, it's like, oh, like you just like, you know, you just want want more. But but I oh, love yeah. the I love the fact that looking at the four of them as a whole, uh, you do get these different types of stories. And and yeah, they do. They do read a little bit differently, but uh, but but all enjoyable in their own way. Um, oh, absolutely. Yeah. So, yeah, I was a bit behind in my reading, but I got everything done. But uh, two two funny qu- quick things that I'll just mention. Uh one is that, like I said, this these had been sitting on my shelf for such a long time. And when my wife and I got married uh, almost five years ago now, I brought these four hardcovers on our honeymoon to Hawaii, packed them in my luggage. And I was like, all right, like sitting by the pool, I'll have some time. I'll read them. 
Never, never <laughs> cracked them open. No, nah. <laughs> took them halfway, you know, around the world. I and love that, it. Yeah. I love it. So, uh, love it. so there's that. Well, they're well-traveled. They are well-traveled. <laughs> you know what? At that point I was, I was, uh, a part you of a lot of other things going on. It, well, that's true. But at, at, uh, but I mean, there was, there was lounging by the pool. I could have done it, but, uh, but I, I just didn't. And, you know, at that point, part of me felt like if you didn't read it then, when you made the effort to pack them and bring them, it's like, you might just never get to these. So that's why I'm grateful for this podcast. And then the second, uh, funny little thing, uh, in the context of this podcast, you know, the recording and release order are, are not always the, the same. So the last, uh, reading project that I had, before this one was Red Hulk by uh, by Jeff Loeb, and uh, a little disappointing. Yeah, a little more than a little disappointing. And so this was such a wonderful palate cleanser. Yeah. Dark, Restore your faith in comics. Yeah, I mean, like dark and 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 gritty, and um, yeah. yeah, and and just and again, like rooted in the real world. Like it was just such a such a fun uh, change of pace after that. So I, I really uh, I really had a great time reading these. Yeah. And, and like I said, it, you know, if you ever get the chance to read the novel, uh, the way I was doing it was I was reading, you know, two or three chapters in the novel and then go back and I would go back to the graphic novel because the, the, the novel is broken up into the books, the four books, and then chapters within the books. And so I would read a couple of chapters and then I would see how Darwin adapted it. And I would read a couple of chapters and see how he adapted it. And I think it's kind of incredible because he's following the story so faithfully that, uh, you know, you really get a sense that you know, it's like looking into Darwin's mind. Like, obviously, he was a fan of this novel, of Richard Star. I don't think he just decided one day to pick the Parker novels. I'm sure he was obsessed with these books for a long time. Maybe he read them uh, when he was a kid uh, throughout his life. Uh, I feel like, you know, paperbacks like this were very common, where people would just, you know, buy them, sit on the subway and read them. And so, you know, who knows how many times he read, you know, The Hunter, but to see it, from his mind now on paper, you know, Richard Stark wrote the words. I mean, the dialogue is the same with some exceptions. I mean, it's, I think it's really funny how he cleaned up. This is much grittier, by the way. Okay. Uh, there, it's, it's much more adult <laughs> than the Darwin. Darwin definitely toned it down. Um, you, know, you know, at one point, they have to go get the guns, I think. Part of the heist that gets him in trouble with this guy, Mal, is this heist where they have to go to this island off the coast of wherever it was, Canada or something, and get these guns. Um, and there were the rebels, right, in the book, but he calls them the Fidelistas in, yeah. in this, which I think is probably a term that you probably don't want to use nowadays, although I don't think it's derogatory, but I've never heard it. So things like that, or then, or this is very over-sexualized, right? And so f some of the scenes with Lynn, uh, when he first sees Lynn, and he's like, you know, really manhandling her, um, and then she kills herself uh, from an overdose, you know, he describes at length how she's laying on the bed with her breasts hanging out, essentially, things like that, that Darwin kind of, you know, did his best to interpret, but clean it up for, you know, a child's audience. I think that's okay, um, which I, I really like to see. The book is also has... It's not just, a, a, you know, has extra stuff in this book that his graphic novel doesn't pick up on. There's actually a couple of storylines as well. One of them is really fun. I think you'll enjoy. Um, is it okay that we talk about this? Yeah, please. I, I mean, I'm, yeah. I'm so curious to, uh, again, I appreciate you taking the time and doing the heavy lifting on that. So, yeah, I'm like, I'm no, so curious fun. to hear what, what the, that reading experience was like. And, and so, so, so there's a it. whole, yeah, yeah, there's a whole extra kind of two scenes that are separated, one in the middle of the book and one at the end of the book, where Parker is looking for Mal. He can't find Mal. And so he's going through all these characters, like Sedgwick, which he winds up killing later. Um, 
But on his, you know, quest from person to person, he goes and he finds this guy, uh, Delgado or something like that. He, he, I can't think of the guy's name offhand, but he owns a, a, a bodega. And so he goes to this bodega and he's like hitting them up for information. And these cops walk in. Um, for an unrelated incident, they see Parker and they, you know, they they look suspicious. So they ask him all sorts of questions, and he gives them the phony name because he has got his phony license and his whole backstory. And the cops don't buy it, but they buy it enough to let him go. But surprisingly, later on in the book, after he gets his revenge, the uh, the outfit has given him his ransom money, essentially his money back that uh, Mal stole and then paid the outfit with. Um, he loses the money. So he, the cops show back up and he's forced to, you know, run. He's got two suitcases. One has his clothes. The other one has the money and he takes the wrong suitcase. He takes the suitcase with the laundry. And so when he finally opens the suitcase, he realizes he's lost all that money that he took this entire novel to get back. Right. And so there's one extra chapter now at the end of this book, that's not included in this book where he hits the operation uh, or the outfit uh, one more time. And he said, this is for interest on the loan that I gave you. <laughs> it's, it's like such a, he's a baller. I mean, at the end of the day, you know, he's like, oh, by the way, thanks for the money, but you had it for this long. I'm going to get interest on it. I just hit your casino or whatever he hits. And I just think it's really funny. It's a really nice uh, ending that's in this one. And I don't know if Darwin ran out of pages or he decided that it was not a really important thing to include. Um, but I thought it was a really interesting way to end that novel as opposed to the book. That is really fascinating. I mean, you know, the, the art of adaptation, I, you know, I've, I've never done it, but I would imagine it's, it's really kind of tricky. And, you know, Darwin's yeah. been on the other side of it, right? So his magnum opus, right? New Frontier, what he, he actually wrote the, uh, the animated adaptation. Yeah. Um, but that was at the point in time when all those DC cartoons were, were kept to about 75 minutes. Now, I don't know if they so much have more flexibility with runtime, but they've been doing a lot more two-part movies. Like they adapted Dark Knight Returns into two parts and the death and return of Superman. Stories that really need more than, you know, an hour and change to breathe. But yeah. at the time, you know, he had to boil down New Frontier. That must have been an especially tricky thing to adapt your your own work. Uh, oh, for sure. You know, but I actually, I actually quite, that's a separate conversation, but I actually really quite uh, liked the way he was able to distill New Frontier down to what we got in the cartoon. But, you know, here he's adapting someone else's work. And yeah, I mean, I'm sure a lot of tough choices. I, th I mean, based on what you're describing, I think I think you probably made the right call on that. I mean, I feel like yeah, that might have yeah, been yeah. like a bridge too it's far. Too much. It's, it's a too little much. bit much. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but it's funny nonetheless, you know, uh, you know, and talking about adaptation, it's certainly an art. Right. And I think having read the novel and then read Darwin's adaptation, he excels at this art. Um, he was able to read the novel, distill the important parts, and then tell faithfully retell his story. Is it okay if I just show a couple of pages? Yes. Uh, before it, you do, cool? let me just say it's uh, you showed before we started recording. You, you showed me your notes that you took in the book. So for all the so, for all the comic book fans out there, <laughs> Bill Bill wrote in his books. They're they're no longer well, mint. I didn't I didn't know. Uh, well, first of all two things. The first thing is I looked up how much, you know, the Hunter costs on eBay. It's a $10 book, right? So I wasn't like heartbroken. And secondly, I really didn't know what the nature of our discussion would be today. So I wanted to take notes about what's the same and what's different between the two. And I, and I, and I had a good time doing that. And I, and I wrote in this book and this book, you know, at the same time. Um, but I want to draw attention to just the early chapters of this book. Now, 
Uh, I don't know if you read anything about Darwin and Donald Westlake, but apparently they became friends over Parker. And if you know it, if I read the Wikipedia page for Donald Westlake, and apparently Parker, uh, especially this book, uh, Hunter, has been adapted a number of times. Not only the one that uh, Rich Roney has talked about, uh, Point bl- uh, Blank, um, with Lee Marvin, but some, some other times as well. I think there was a Mel Gibson ab- adaptation and uh, – um, who's that guy with a really gravelly voice? There's a Jason um, Statham, uh, Jason most recently. Statham yeah, yeah. But in all of those adaptations, he did not give permission to use the term Parker, right? And so that was an interesting point, but but Darwin got the permission. And I would like to believe, and I have no basis of this, that he showed Donald Westlake the first few pages of his novel. I, I have to believe that because this is such an incredible retelling of the first chapter in the book, right? So the first chapter is all about... Parker is essentially he, you know, for those of you guys who haven't read it or maybe excited to read it, the basic backstory is the the heist went bad, right? And the two guys that he pulled the heist with convinced his wife to murder him and leave him for dead. And then uh, he he obviously wasn't killed, and he is you know later on he escapes from the house that they lit on fire that he was in. He's stumbling around, and the cops pick him up and they bring him to the farm. I don't I don't necessarily know what the farm is, but it's some kind of prison, maybe maybe like a chain gang situation. He was on that farm for five months before he got back out, and then once he's out, he's now picking up where he left off, right? And so this chapter one begins right there, and he's back in New York, and he needs an identity, right? He needs money, and the book goes into great detail on how he's doing it. And largely the first few pages, there's almost no dialogue. Uh, But when you look at these pages, and again, like I was saying, there's so much information in each panel uh, that you don't even get. Like, you know, for example, you know, Donald Wesley talks about the hole in in his shoe and, you know, Darwin puts that hole, you know, right there. He talks about throwing a cigarette over the bridge and there he's doing it. He does the whole pack in this thing, but you know, still, you know, true to the story, he's walking down this bridge. Uh, he draws so much attention in the book to this woman who is terrified just by the sight of Parker, trying to establish, you know, how menacing of a figure he is. And, you know, again, I think Darwin does a great job. There's no dialogue, no, you know, remember like a Silver Age comic would have like a huge, like, meanwhile, <laughs> talking about this scene, none of that. But you get the sense, right? Maybe you glass over really quick, but when you have the novel with you and you see it, you're like, oh my goodness, you know? And he talks about all these people in the street that are watching him. Uh, some of the really nice things that I like. Uh, so this whole scene is represented. But this scene is so wonderful in the novel. So he goes into a diner, and this girl is flirting with him. Like, like, and he's talking about how she's showing her his her breasts and really trying to like flirt with him because she wants to get a nice tip out of the, out of Parker, right? And so. Parker doesn't leave the good tip. She's she's doing her best. He doesn't leave a good tip, right? So she sees the, the quarter thrown at her, and in the book, she does the same thing. She throws the tip and the and the uh and the cup into the you know the trash. And like you sit there it is. But you know, there's no indicate if you don't know from reading the book, it's hard to even understand what she's doing. But there it is. It's like so faithful. Uh, rep, you know, retelling of this Donald Westlake story. And, and I don't need to go in any further, but this whole scene where he's getting his license and, and forging the license, then he goes to the bathroom, tucks in his dirty shirt, you know, and he emerges at the end of this as like, you know, the hero. You know, he looks like this. Uh, he cuts a, a dashing, you know, whatever they call it, uh, the figure he cuts at the end. I mean, he was like a derelict at the beginning and, you know, it cleans up real nice. Um, and then uh, really quickly, just to f- skip a few pages, this is super wonderful, too, because when you meet Lynn, 
Lynn is the wife that betrayed him. She thinks he's dead. And, and, you know, he walks in on her and he immediately slaps her in the face. She's on the floor. And you can imagine the terror that she has. And, you know, obviously Donald Westlake tells you right away this is his wife. So you know right away in the novel. But you don't know for pages. I don't remember when it's revealed here. Um, I'm sorry if I'm, I'm taking up too much. Go this. for it, man. I love uh, it. <laughs> but, I mean, when you find out it's his wife and then you read it from that perspective, you're like, you could only imagine what the fear that she has. And this scene makes so much more sense, right? She's like, you know, are you going to kill me? He's like, that depends on you. You know, and she says things like, I wasn't a whore, Parker. He's like, no, no, you sold my body instead. I mean, great dialogue in this in this scene. Um, and, it, you know, again, this book is just like you said, it's just such a, you know, uh, you know, like watching a film noir novelization or crime you know, something it's like watching Goodfellas or something. This book, it's, it's such a good, uh, anyway, I'll stop, but oh. I really enjoyed it. Listen, this is what we're here for. Uh, let's just take a 30 second commercial break and then I, I want more of this, man. We'll be right back. Movie lovers should check out this family of film festivals, the Brightside Tavern Film Festival in Jersey city, the hang on to your shorts film festival in Asbury park and the point lookout film festival on long Island submission information for filmmakers as well as details about the festivals generally, can be found at filmfreeway.com. Also, be sure to listen to the podcasts hosted by the festival's organizer, C.J. Cullen. You can find the official Hang On To Your Shorts podcast, as well as the Cullen On Film podcast, via a shared universe network. All right, and we're back. It's You know, what's, what's really funny, man, is that you are now the third teacher... I've had on on this book club podcast, and I think yeah. the non teachers have been wonderful as well. But uh, I, I really think like there there's something to that, and, and like when you're holding up the book and you <laughs> go page by page, I'm like, hey, it's like teaching a class on this. This would be a great class, man. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah, you can you can definitely have a, a lecture or two on this this novel. That's for sure. Yeah, it's yeah. great stuff. So yeah, that was that was really the main thing I was curious about. Uh, you know, was how faithful it was, and you know, from everything you've described, it was uh, you know really like exceedingly faithful. Yeah, mind blowingly. Um, one of the things that's really interesting, I had taken notes on it. Um, let's see, you know the you know you open up the first page and it has some just quotes from the book or lines from the book, and the first thing you see is the Judas U or the U, right? You ever heard that term? No, I can't say that I have. Yeah. So I had to look it up because, you know, it describes it right here. Um, Lynn was his wife, but she played the Judas U by setting him up for the slaughter. So apparently the Judas U is, you know, at a slaughterhouse, they have a goat that leads the other goats to the slaughterhouse. That's Um. the Judas U. And it makes so much sense in the context of, you know, Lynn and how her role in this whole setting him up and everything. So I thought, I mean, I learned something very nice there. Not that I'll ever use that in vernacular, but it's an interesting term. I feel like there's a lot of that here. There's a lot of like gritty 1960s vernacular that I'm not familiar with. um, And I picked up from eating it. Yeah, no, that's really cool. You know, you, uh, you took us through the opening sequence of, of the hunter and it was, again, even without having read the novel, it was so impactful reading those first few pages because it, it pulls you in immediately. It instantly establishes who this character is. I mean, you know, he's walking across the George Washington bridge and someone offers him a ride and his first words are go to hell. (laughs) And it's like, all right, like we know who this guy is. And it's, it's, it's perfect. And you know, so this was one of the main things that I just I appreciated so much about this was 
the way Cook used the art to tell the story. Because as you know, uh, you know, we've been friends for a long time. And as, as listeners know, you know, I, I certainly appreciate and understand the importance and the value of art in a visual medium. Like I get it. But that being said, I've yeah. always gravitated more to, to writers and the story and to the point where, you know, I'll suffer through art that I'm, I don't really like because I'm, I'm interested in the, in the writer or the story. I follow writers more, right. but, but looking at this and especially all of these long sequences where there's no text and no dialogue and it's just the art telling the story. It just really made me appreciate how brilliant he was at at sequential storytelling, uh, sequential art like that. And, you know, to your point, it's like, no, I didn't have, you know, the background from the novel. But it, like, it forced me to pay. That was the thing. I really noticed that I was paying much closer attention to the art. I mean, I always take it in. But, like, I was really looking at it a lot more closely oh, yeah. because you don't have anything else to rely on. And it's like, okay, like, you have these little, all these little character moments and beats, and it's like you want to make sure you get it. You know, exactly the stuff right. that you were mentioning. Oh, yeah. Uh, and, and, again, it was, it's kind of amazing to see what he saw in his head with, you know, you know, when he read this book. And I really feel like he put it on paper. And that's why I say I have no, I have no basis on fact, but I feel like he would have shown Donald West like those first few pages. And he probably was like, oh, by all means, do all of my books <laughs> because it was perfect. It was just 100 percent him retelling um, that story uh, and well done, by the way. And, and, and to credit to Donald Westlake, this was an incredible story. Like, you know, you, we've all seen these, you know, you know, maybe listeners at home are thinking, oh, it's just some some crime novel uh, whatnot. There's some twists. There's some very interesting things uh, that that come out of these books that I've never seen before in terms of convention. Like one that was really nice was, again, he's trying to get his money back from the outfit. Uh, and then at one point he gets his money back. And now the goal is is to get the outfit to stop trying to kill him. Because basically it's like the outfit's like, well, here's the money. So so again, for those of you who haven't read it, they're interested in reading it. Um, this guy Mal that double crosses him with his wife steals the, the the money that he was owed from this job. Then this guy Mal uses that money to pay off the outfit, which is the mafia essentially, uh, because he owed them a debt. And so he kills Mal, uh, you know, again because he needs he double crossed him. But now he wants his money, so he goes to the outfit and he says, "Listen, guys, he paid you with my money, not his money." And they're like, "Well." You know, you not, not our problem, buddy. Yeah. Not our problem. But he makes it their problem, and <laughs> he eventually gets them to pay. And I think that's incredible. But at the end of that novel, the first novel, they're basically like, "Well, here's your money, but you're a marked man, right?" So the first thing he does, he gets uh, plastic surgery. So the second book opens up, he's got a new face, but unfortunately, he gets marked by the guy he does the next job with, and they, and you know, so now the outfit know where to get him, and their outfit are coming after him. Um, and so now he need the goal is to get the the top brass at the outfit killed, so you know they'll stop hunting him. But I think one of the greatest things is he goes to like one of these top bosses and he's like, "Listen, <laughs> if I kill this guy under you or over you, do you take his role? And would you be cool with me doing that?" He's like, "Yeah, by all means, go ahead." <laughs> it's like such an interesting plot point, you know. When when he does that, he's on the phone. You're just like, I can't believe he's doing this. This guy's a bull. <laughs> You know, and then he, you know, stages the, uh, you know, the attack on this guy's house to kill him. Oh, it's just, it's such a great story. Like I said, the first two books I will read again and enjoy over and over. 
Yeah, this guy's got uh, a, a real uh, a real pair on him, and it's it's great to watch that. That too was probably one of my favorite one of my favorite moments. Um, you know, when he's dealing with like one of the top guys, Fairfax, I think, and and he yeah. wants a line on the top guy, Bronson, and he's like, okay, and like you said, he's like, okay, so who's next in line? If I take yeah. out Bronson and he's able to get yeah. that guy's name and like, and the guy's like, yeah, okay. Yeah. Like I would be grateful if that happened. Somewhere. <laughs> yeah. I have his name somewhere. I don't know. Uh, Carnes. He calls Carnes. Uh-huh. That's the guy's name to discuss killing Bronson. And it's like, and then at the very end, it's so great. So the guy, you know, Carnes basically says, hey, this is where you can go get Bronson. You kill him. I'll be happy because I'll take over. And then, you know, after all that, he pays Karn's money for basically fingering the guy because yeah. he ro- not only did he kill this head of the outfit, but he robbed everything that he had in the house. And yeah. then the other guy was entitled to part of the loot. The finger gets ten percent, as we learn. The finger gets ten percent. I yeah. learned that. <laughs> yeah, you learn you learn a lot of lingo, and in that second book in particular, it's a it's a. There's this lengthy sequence. There are these little vignettes, and Cook utilizes you know different. Styles, styles and and storytelling yeah. devices for the sequence but you know the, sort of the gist of it is that at this point where the outfits continue to come after him after he's warned them he's like all bets are off and so he puts the word out to to his entire network because you know traditionally they wouldn't hit outfit operations right, right. but now he's like listen it's fair game, like go after them. And so like all of these places are getting hit and you get yeah. like a really interesting lesson in, in how a lot of these illegal operations work. <laughs> like, well, like racetrack you know, betting. Fascinating. He does a great job at, you know, describing the, basically the grift and then how the outfit or how those, uh, his friends basically got in and, and figured out how to hit it. Um, and, and like you said, it was very interesting to see all these different, narration styles and art styles like the first one was uh like a news article like you were reading a uh, i think it was like a newspaper mm-hmm. retelling of the crime which i thought was really interesting and then he switches to a very interesting i've never seen this cartoony style uh from darwin but again i thought it was great it, and this is probably very similar to what his storyboards would look like for maybe like when he was retelling the uh, uh new frontier or something like that little tiny images you know and he gets a lot across yeah, uh, this is the one I like the most, by the way, the the, uh, the numbers game here. Oh, yeah, that was a really interesting grift. Yeah. Um, anyway, but it was it was it's a great book. It's it really is. I can't I can't say enough. I can't sing enough praises for it. Um, those first two, the other ones, you know, I, I took notes on all of them um, that I read, but it really wasn't. They they didn't grab my attention. You know, the story was not engaging enough. Um, it was cool that it was Parker. Like you said, it would have been great to see him adapt more. This is all we have. Um, but again, if you're trapped in uh, desert Island or you're going back to Hawaii, just take the first two volumes, you know, <laughs> you don't need all four. Yeah. That's the thing. Like I said, I mean, I think they, they all read well, they're all worthwhile. The, you know, the first two, like you said, definitely grab you more. There's, there's more substance there. They're personal stories. Um, whereas the latter two, you know, the, I mean, volume three is, is really just this heist. And, Again, it's it's a cool concept where they're knocking off this copper mining town, um, but most of it is really just putting the the heist together, putting together the team, making the plan. Which I do, and you see elements of that in all four books. Uh, well, maybe not so much the last one, but that takes a little different turn. But uh, that I really did like overall across the books. The the strategy yeah. involved in these heists, like it was a lot of fun. Um, but with that, with the volume three, you know, I was re- I was like very deep into it, and I'm like. 
there going to be like any kind of twist or anything? Like they're just, they're putting together the heist and it's going great. I'm like, all right. Yeah. And then, you know, with, I, I guess, you know, normally we, you know, we do give spoilers uh, in these episodes and we already have given a bunch. I mean, I guess, you know, I'm assuming maybe not everyone listening has read this. So I, I mean, I won't lay out every single beat, but, uh, but Sorry, by the way, no, 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 no. I, again, these are a decade old. I think it's fair game, but yeah. But basically, one of the one of the people goes off the reservation. Turns out he had an ulterior motive, and that that's finally our little bit of a twist. But it's you know very close to the end, and and so that one was like pretty straightforward, as opposed to um, you know the others where we're bouncing back and forth in time as well. You know, he used yeah, that device yeah, a lot yeah. in the first two, which was really interesting. Um, so yeah, just a different flavor with with volume three, and then yeah, volume four, the shortest one, where uh, he and a couple of guys are pulling a job in in Buffalo, and there's a car accident, and he gets, you know, he runs into this abandoned amusement park to hide out, and he's dealing with the local uh, criminal element and corrupt cops, and he basically home alones them, you know, he's like going exactly. through the amusement park and and rigging yeah. all of these uh, different attractions. It, it again, it was it was fun, you know, in its own way, yeah. but uh, yeah, definitely that was a real quick one. Right. I actually, I didn't uh, catch that it was just like Home Alone, but you say that and it's 100% right. <laughs> it was like watching Home Alone. But it was great because like he goes into the like the funhouse mirror room, right? And he oh, puts, and then he, he paints the white, the dots on all the windows. Right. Yeah. And then when it, the guy walks in, exactly, yeah. he knows to shoot the guy who doesn't have the, yeah, like, so it's, it was yeah, really so cool. Good. But it definitely had that yeah. Home Alone, uh, <laughs> that Home Alone feel to it. Uh, I'll also say, as far as things that it it brought to mind, did you ever watch White Collar, the USA series with Matt Bomer? No, no, I know that you like the the White Collar though. Yes, back in the day. Yes, it's a great show. The what reminded me most of White Collar was really in that in the opening chapter of the first book when um and you and you alluded to this when he um he is able to go into the bank and pretend he's someone else and uh, and get them oh, to give him so a checkbook. What a great grift. Oh, no. no, obviously it wouldn't work nowadays, but back then I guess you just walk in with a driver's license and, you know, if you have an account there. Yeah, so basically he would just go into each one of the banks and say, hey, this is my, you know, I'm looking to, for my account. Here's my driver's license. Yeah, right. Like he gets his fake ID and he goes with the name yeah. Edward Johnson, right? Generic enough that if you go to enough and you see him, that's what's so cool about like he goes to all these different banks, right? He goes to four banks. And it's yeah. like eventually, you know, you're going to find <laughs> one of them that yeah. has an Edward Johnson and they're like, oh, here you go, sir. Oh, yeah, that's the other thing. I mean, you know, this is set in the 60s, but these stories are so cool. I mean, you know, yeah, that's one instance where that probably wouldn't fly today, but yeah. You know, for the most part, I mean, I felt like, you know, these were kind of like, these were pretty timeless. You know, I didn't feel like, I mean, and there were, for most of the stories, I wasn't even thinking like, oh yeah, we're in the sixties. Like I, I it, uh, yeah. Yeah, it didn't yeah. play a huge role. But yet he perfectly sets it up at that it's the sixties, yes, right? I mean, yes. from the art on the walls to the, the dresses the girls are wearing to, you know, everything screams, uh, 1960s. Yeah. But um, it's like the themes of you know, uh, loyalty and betrayal, uh, you know, are so timeless and, and the way they play out. And I think these books, they really reveal a lot. I mean, they're not, they're not optimistic takes, but I think they show you a lot about the human condition and, you know, what motivates people. And you see story after story of, uh, you know, uh, of people selling each other out, you know, for, uh, out, of, out of fear or out of, you know, for money or sex or, you know, it, it's, it's oh, really yeah. interesting. You know, talking about the human condition, I had some notes. Uh, the the novel brings up the idea of identity a lot, right? So, you know, obviously he's a dead man, come back to life. He's has multiple names. He's gone by Parker. Uh, you said Edward Johnson. He also, when he went to prison, had his own name, uh, Ronald Casper, and it's brought up several times in the book. Um, 
you know, you know, if I'm caught again for killing this girl at the salon, you know, they'll they'll find the prince and they'll find Ronald Casper. You know, that's my and he, he keeps saying that's my prison name, um, as if you know, you know, in some cases, like you know, some identity or maybe your self identity is a prison of some sort. I don't know. It was some, there was something there that if I was an English professor, I'm not. Um, maybe there's something to write about, but uh, certainly a lot of things about the human condition. And uh, you know, when you're, you know, a certain element of society where you know. You know, you kill the sex and everything else is all intertwined. Um, you know, you see what these guys are made out of. And a lot of them, they're very bad people. Uh, the guy, Mal, that basically stole his wife and convinced the wife, he's a fucking prick. Uh, I hope I could say that. Go for um, it. <laughs> but, you know, both in the novel and in the graphic novel, he does, like, terrible things to women. And he is paint Like, you know, again, you know, Parker is this, this really bad guy. But then when he's, when he's up against this other guy he's trying to kill, you're like, well, the other guy's worse. Like much worse, right? So you, it's justified, right? And so there was some interesting things there. Um, I also want to note, uh, if we're, if I'm allowed to, there was one interesting thing I, that you that know, Darwin, it's so funny. I feel like listeners are going to be like, "Man, Anthony must be so strict. Like, what kind of instructions does he give the guests ahead of time? <laughs> <laughs> like, if, is it okay? Am I allowed?" It's like, yeah, it's fine. <laughs> Anthony is some kind of monster. No. I'm sorry. So in the book, when he, he finally gets Mal and he kills him, right? So he strangles him in the, in the novel the same way. But Darwin has, has Parker spit on him. Yeah. That's not in the book. Not in the book. I thought that was a really interesting uh, inclusion by Darwin. Um, again, so much, I mean, this guy is so bad. And, and you know, we know it as the readers, you know, you know, Parker knows it and he spits on him. Like the ultimate insult, you kill him by strangulation, so personal and then he spits on him. Awful. That's inter- Yeah, that's interesting to know that that was uh, an addition. Yeah, very, very interesting. And, you know, again, going back to this idea of the human condition, uh, I'm for- again, there were a lot of names in this. I don't know, was it Handy? One of, the, one of his, uh, Parker's crew, who was, was a loyal, like, good guy, um, was willing to go with him to help him take out Bronson, the top outfit guy, right? Yeah. And Parker offered him a split. Like, this wasn't a job where they were there to steal. Like, this was revenge. But right. he offered him a split, and, and the guy was like, no, like, I'm willing to do it, like, to help you. And Parker doesn't like that. Yeah. He feels like he's yeah. gone soft. Like, that's not that's not what we do. Right, exactly right. I mean, I feel like these guys live by a code, just like you were saying. Like the finger gets ten percent. Like it's it's assumed that if you're going to pull this job with me, you get this is the payout. And so I guess it it's a foreign concept almost to them to do something for free, you yeah. know, or just because they're friends. Or maybe Parker doesn't want to have friends. I don't know. But Handy seems like a nice guy, actually. He's he in the book. Yeah, I like Handy, and I like uh, what's his name, Grofield. Who's that? The actor. Oh yeah. Um, I don't remember. I think it's Gro- Gro- Grofield, yeah. right? I think. Yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah I think you're right. Because that, yeah, that was, that was so actually that was one of my that was one of the really funny bits I thought in uh, in the score, where again they're knocking off this town, and yeah. uh, and so he's he has he's at the, the phone company and they have all the the female operators uh, there. Oh, and then he get- <laughs> yeah, and he starts a relationship <laughs> with with one of the, one of the takes, uh, hostages. He takes her with him. I love it. I love it. Yeah, it was such a great scene. And then, like, you know, he gets the girl. They're all, like, leaving the town, and he's like, the girl's coming with us. They're, Parker's not going to like this. <laughs> it's so wonderful. Uh, the other thing is, is, is in, the, in the score, a lot of the guys in his crew are notable comic book artists, so I thought that was really cool as well. Um, so, so, you know, you have 
you know, Reverend Dave Johnson looks just like him. There he is right there. Uh, Phil Noto is represented, uh, although it doesn't really look like Phil for those of you guys who know Phil. But who looks identical to him is Jim Starenko. Uh, do you guys uh, do you remember the scene where you see him for the first time? Uh, nah, not Let's offhand. See if I can find it. Do you know Jim Starenko? I mean, but you know, yeah. I mean, not personally, but <laughs> but yeah. Uh, but yeah, like seeing, it. yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's the, that is Jim Starenko. Yes, one hundred ten percent. You know, and I just think it's great. Darwin had a great job with that. Um, and Jim Stranko goes to every comic book convention wearing a suit. So there he is wearing a suit. Everybody else is pretty casual. Jim Stranko wearing a suit. And which one is that? Is that the score? That's the score. That's the score. Yeah. yeah. And then so Jim Clancy. So there is a character playing poker in the outfit named Clancy. Right. He, he calls out to Clancy. And I assume that's also Jim. Yeah. But then at the end in Slaygrounds, yeah. Clancy is somewhere here. But I couldn't figure out where Clancy is. Oh, Cl- um, Clancy's like very prominent. In this? Yeah. Let me see if I can try to dig it out real quick. Oh man, there was one panel, and I meant to take a take a picture of it, but uh, it looks just like Jim, huh? Yeah. Well, because because like this right here, this is my buddy Randy House, one hundred and ten percent. And so you look at that, you're like, oh my god. And I guess the other guy with him is Ben DeFeo, uh, who's also in this. So if you go to page if you go to page forty seven of Slayground. Unless I'm mistaken, I don't know Jim as well as, as you do, but I think that's, I'm pretty sure that's Jim Clancy. Oh my goodness, that's totally him. <laughs> <laughs> Jim, if you're listening, he did a great job. I hope you own this page, Jim. I really do. Yeah, you know, going back to Jim Clancy. So, uh, you know, like I said, I, I knew, I know him, uh, but yeah, I mean, I haven't seen or spoken to him in years. Um, you know, I knew him as a customer at Alternate Realities. You know, he would come in, I'd ring him up, we'd chat briefly. I mean, I, again, I, you know, it wasn't a, you know, um, that in, involved of, of, of a friendship, but uh, we'd yeah. remain Facebook friends. And I know when I posted that we were doing this, or I think it was actually your post uh, of yourself yeah. reading the books, he commented and, um, I think he asked like why like why I chose to do this and and I, I shared you know what I did at the top of this episode that you know it's stuff I've been meaning to finish all these years and I thought it would be cool to shine a light on something other than New Frontier uh, which you know has yeah. has been discussed plenty and so now you said you did not you were not able to connect with with Jim I, no I just it's just a crazy week I wanted to talk to him I, I would think he would have an interesting perspective I'm sure he picked Darwin's brain on a number of occasions regarding uh, Parker. Um, one of the things that you might not know is uh, at Heroes Con, uh, Jim Clancy was part of the uh, the Dinner Jacket Club, and it was a bunch of guys. And on Saturday night at Heroes Con, there's an art auction. And at the art auction, uh, if you were part of this club, I never got inducted to this club. I'm you know always a little hurt about that. Uh, but they got you a dinner jacket that was like a 1960s. You were like in Las Vegas dinner jacket. And you would walk in. And I remember distinctly the year that Darwin was there. They inducted him into the Dinner Jacket Club. And he walks in. They're all getting drunk together. It was such a great – it was like a ball to see them because it was like the Rat Pack. You know, it was like the guys that you know and love from the – because, you know, again, Heroes Con is like a family con. Guys like Jim Clancy, Ben DeFeo, and Randy House who were in this are like the characters of the ball. You know, everybody goes there to like hang out with these guys. And to see Darwin as one of them was just like it was like Sinatra walking in with the Rat Pack. It was like the coolest thing. Um, but so yeah, Jim is a very good friend. Was a very good friend of Darwin's, and so I think he would have had a very good perspective um, had I got in touch with him. Well, listeners, you could you might you might have heard it. Sorry. Well, I didn't. I mean, I uh, yeah. I um, in retrospect for myself, I could have reached out to him and asked. But uh, you know, I guess the one thing I'd be curious, you know, and I could probably guess the answer. It's like it must have been so cool to see himself. 
uh, brought to life as a comic book character. Oh, yeah. You know? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I can only imagine. Have you ever been written into a comic? No. Have you? Have, no. Has, uh, no? My name appeared in a comic once. Uh, Stefan Rue put me on a cover once. Uh, I, w- I wrote an article, and apparently in the newspaper. I don't even remember what comic book it is. But he, he remember it was like me, Jason Shackner, a bunch of people had the bylines of this paper. It was kind oh, of fun. Nice. And I remember seeing that. It's just like, huh. <laughs> It's cool. I mean, the closest I've cool yeah, and the closest I, I've come is uh, my buddy Greg Shegel. He does a, a graphic novel series called Picks, and in volume two, in the background of one of the scenes, there's a bunch of titles on a shelf, and my comic shop history, the title of my other podcast, is there, and that was That's very incredible. cool. Yeah, no, that was really cool to see. And I don't think I'm trying to remember. I don't think he told me ahead of time, or he might have said like. Oh, I think he was like, oh, you're, it's in there somewhere. Because <laughs> like, I got it. I was like, go for it. Looking through it. Yeah. No, it's cool because like being a fan of these characters uh, or, you know, these comics, this medium, and then, you know, being being in it in some way. Uh, yeah, that's it's, it's really cool. Yeah. 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 I want to circle back to the, the 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 sex because you know I know you said that he he you know cooked toned uh, toned a lot down and I think that was probably the right call I mean these are still not you know I, I still wouldn't give these books to a little kid but um, you know from what you're saying I think it's definitely you know um, uh, more sanitized while still being plenty gritty uh, you know in, in the graphic novels but yeah we do get some insight that's a recurring theme throughout these books the sort of the rhythm and the pattern of uh, Parker's sex life well, where well he, he's got a heist yep. and he can't think about sex until the end of the heist and then once that's <laughs> over he's like it's time and he gets the first girl that's there and that's basically the theme and i think all all of those novels uh, he just grabs the first girl i, I love that the end of one of them where he's like i gotta go back down to miami with brett but this casino is right over there and i'll <laughs> you know and he finds the girl and you don't you don't get to see that scene right. but you, you know what he's going to do and so, yeah, I think it's sanitized because, I mean, these were never sealed, I don't think, right? And so it's to prevent anybody from just flipping through and seeing it. But, yeah, there's a fair amount of sex, uh, which I think goes with the violence, you know, hand in hand, um, not only in, in these books, but also the genre. I think it speaks to the genre of sex and violence here. Yeah, for sure. Uh, what else did you have in, in your notes? No, I think that's uh, everything I wanted to talk about. Uh, let's see. No, I mean, you know, I definitely want to bring up the differences between the two. And I feel like I definitely uh, talked to, at length about some of them. Um, you know, some of the scenes that I really enjoyed, I feel like I brought up a lot of those scenes. And so, yeah, I mean, I don't know if you have anything more to add other than these are definitely, I would recommend these books hands down to anybody interested in Darwin Cook, but also interested in stories like this. So, um, so for example, if I was working at the comic shop, and somebody said, hey, I just read 100 Bullets. I really loved 100 Bullets with something similar to that. I'd be like, get these Parker books because you're going to love them. You know, I think they're the same genre. Or they really like Torpedo uh, by Jordi Brunet, for example. Another book about like a mafia hitman in like the 1930s. You know, it, again, it goes hand in hand with like the character Parker. Um, this would be, you know, I would definitely a natural extension if you like those types of books. Yeah, for sure. I mean, they, they really are great reads. I mean, anyone who's listening to this who hasn't read, um, you know, any or all of these, I really do recommend them. They were a lot of fun. Um, you know, I mean, again, we hit on uh, really a lot of the the main ideas and the themes that I wanted to talk about. I mean, as far as other, you know, uh, uh, bits and things like that that I really enjoyed, um, I liked when, again, in the outfit, when this whole network of criminals, they're hitting all of the outfit operations, and then Bronson is getting filled in, right? The top guy, he's hiding out at his wife's house in Buffalo. 
playing Monopoly. Playing Monopoly with the bodyguards, which was great. That was so great when Parker and Handy, I think, were, were like casing yeah. out the joint. It's like, yeah. it's like they're just playing Monopoly. Playing Monopoly <laughs> night after night. But I like when one of the underlings, is it the accountant? But like one of the underlings comes and is, is filling Bronson in on like how much they've been hit for and everything. And he shares with Bronson, he's like, you know, we've done too good a job of having legitimate fronts because he's like the people i mean, treating this like a corporation because the the people, people who work for back. us they think yeah. they're working at a corporation like they don't fight back they waited a really yeah. long time before even thinking to call us like so i thought that was funny yeah oh yeah absolutely uh it's not something you think about like you know it's such a well-run organization that the people who work there didn't know that they worked for an illegal operation they were just counting the money they were doing this or that uh, I thought that was good. Uh, another scene that you made me think about, uh, not that it's related to what we just talked about, but with the guy Sedgwick. So, again, when he's looking for this guy Mel, he happens upon this guy Sedgwick who owns a, a used car dealership, it looks like, or something. And, you know, he gets the information where Mal is. And then later on, at the end of that scene, he's like, don't tell Mal I'm looking for him, right? But then, obviously, Sedgwick does tell Mal. And then later on, after he kills Mal, he goes and kills Sedgwick. And he goes back. He's like, you know, you told me that you weren't going to kill. You tell Mal, <laughs> you're dead. Yeah. And I just, I, you know, I really enjoyed the the full circle there. It's like, you know, and I forgot what he said to him. It's like, well, this serves you right, basically. It's like, you know, you broke your promise. Yeah, that's the thing. I mean, right, it's the code <clears throat> that this character has. I mean, again, he's a criminal. He's yeah. doing very bad things. And, uh, you know, he's killing people over the over the course of this book. But... Again, you know, relatively within this this world of criminals, uh, you know, he, he does have his code and he, you know, yeah. if, if that guy had kept his word and... Yeah, and, and, says it right there. Yeah, no more favors. No more favors. <laughs> right. And so if he had just kept his word, you know... He would be dead. He would be fine right now. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, I think, you know, again, we, we hit on, I think, really a lot of my favorite uh, moments. But yeah, when he's working his way up the ladder of the outfit... And, you know, uh, confronting the higher ups and getting the even higher ups on the phone. And I mean, he kills one of the guys when he's on the phone. <laughs> oh, my gosh. When I see that scene, I was like, I can't even you can't even believe it because it's not it's not common. It's just not common. You know, in, in any sort of media movie, you wouldn't see that. That's just yeah. like you said, he's got the big he's got big balls. He really does. Yeah. Well, he was the guy Carter, I think. Right. It was Carter. He goes to the guy Carter's office, just shoots us, shoots him right in the head. Yeah. And then he gets on the phone with the guys like, I just killed Carter. <laughs> I'm coming after you now. Yeah. But I think that, I mean, that really, you know, tells you a lot about the character. It's like when he says he's going to do something, he does it. Oh, yeah. You know? Um, but, uh, but yeah, the way he was able to work his way uh, up, up the ladder was great. And then, you know, so he is ultimately able to get them, to get the outfit to, uh, to pay him the money that Mal had stolen from him, right? By threatening to... Uh, call open season. This is in the first book, right? He's he threatens to call open season on all their operations, and and right. they finally agree to pay him off. But then they try to uh, double cross him, right, at the, oh, train, at the station. train station. Yeah. And it's really kind of like a funny sequence. It's like the when like, he gets the guy with the coke, he's like, "Next time, take a drink yeah. every now and then." <laughs> yeah, it's like a real giveaway if you're standing at a train station in the middle of the oh, night holding a can of soda. <laughs> It's such a, it's, it, I mean, it's a great scene. It's a, it's a really good scene, you know? And again, it speaks to like the fact that he's, you know, he's a hardened criminal and, you know, he knows what to look for. He's careful and he can case the situation. He understands what's going on. He's careful. 
Yeah, but it's great. I mean, it's like just uh, instance after instance of them trying to get one over on him. And he's just like, you know, he keeps sending them back and uh, un yeah. until finally he gets the money. Yeah, it was, was there, uh, did you, because again, so over the course of uh, all four books, again, less so Slayground, because that starts with the heist, they're knocking off an armored car and, and then we're into the amusement yeah. park. But with the other books, a bunch of heists, were there any that you were, um, like of the ones that Parker was involved in and planned and pulled off, uh, were there any that, or what was, did you have a favorite out of all the heists? You know, I don't, I don't think I have a favorite or, or I can think of one that was particularly great. The first one, it's the one where they're on that island yeah. and they all have machine guns and they're trying to, you know, they're shooting their way out essentially. Um, I mean, that was fine. Uh, I, I, I don't like that so much as that story of revenge that was in there, right? The heists were a necessary part of the story because that's what he was. He was a criminal. He was working a heist. And these books were basically how the heist went bad after and, and the cleanup, essentially. And I enjoyed that aspect of the works more than anything else. What about you? What was your favorite heist that he was involved in? I like the diner, the, the, uh, the armor truck at the diner. Oh, yeah. With you know. the, uh, that little guy that brings him in to the thing. That was also a very interesting uh, tale, as well, you know, and he, and again, he read the situation right away. He's like this woman who sets this up, he's going to double cross everybody. And, you know, yeah. and she does. Yeah. So that was right. Re <clears throat> refresh my memory. It, it, despite having just read them, but there were a lot of characters and a lot of, oh, know, were so jumping much. around a it's, lot. It's meaty. Who was that slim Lesker? Was that, the, was that the character? Yeah. I think I have all their names. Hold on. Let's see. That was definitely in the score. Or no, that was the outfit. I thought, I think it was chat. Mm. No, it wasn't the outfit. That was in the score, wasn't it? Oh, no, you're right. It was in the outfit. My mistake. You're right. My, it, was, it was at the beginning. Again, I read them two within the last week, and it's like <laughs> now they're all like one almost. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I, don't, I, I think the guy's name was Slim. This, this little, poor little, the little poor little dude. Yeah, right. Yeah. But this woman at the diner, right, tells him about this, uh, you know, this money truck that, that, you know, passes by, you know, every Thursday or whatever. And, uh, and, and the guys come in and so they come up with this plan and they box in the truck and they, and, uh, but yes, uh, Parker correctly identifies that the, the, the diner woman is going to betray them and, and he's able to anticipate that and get ahead of it. But, um, but yeah, it was cool. I mean, yes, I agree. I mean, it was really just, you know, the heists are, are a means to an end, right? And uh, they're not really what these are about. I mean, it's really more the themes of, of revenge and survival in the last story. <laughs> but, uh, yeah. but it was well, cool. all about survival. But it was fun. Like but, yeah. I, but I really, I really thought the heists were a lot of fun. It was cool again to see the strategy and to see the way all of that came together. I, you know, I wanted to. Um, you know, I mean, I know obviously we've been talking about the art, but um, what about the color scheme of these books? What, what, uh, what, what thoughts do you have about that? Well, Darwin was very monochromatic uh, when he did his artwork. I mean, you know, the art piece that I have, obviously very similar to the color of the third book, right? Because you know he would use the blues, the yellows. Um, uh, I don't remember. Was New Frontier similar to that at all? No, that was no, full color. That was full color. Uh, yeah, but it's very common in his own like convention art. So it was interesting to see it represented here. Although, did he do the art? Was it Dave Stewart who did the art or, or the colors? Sorry. I believe, like for, Dave, I believe for Darwin. These, he did everything. Okay, fair enough. Um, I like it. I mean, I think that, you know, again, it's it was almost as if you were reading a black and uh, or watching a black and white movie, right? It's just, you know, in the first couple and I think the third one, they were blue and the third one was yellow. Not yeah. a big deal. Um but I think I think it would have a whole different tone had it been purely in black and white and had it purely been in color, right? I think it works to the story a little bit, uh, for sure. 
Yeah. No, overall, <clears throat> overall, I would say it was cool. I, in the, it was interesting, like reading the first one in particular, like it, uh, it, like it took me a minute just to get into the, the rhythm and the style of it. And once I did, I mean, I was really on board, but, um, with the, with the lack of full color, especially when you have like a bunch of Caucasian guys in suits, like shooting at each other, you know, there were yeah. a few instances where like, I really was like, I was like, all right, I want to like make sure I'm tracking all of this properly. Yeah. Um, but, uh, but no, all in all, I think it worked well. And I think you're right. I think had it been fully black and white or fully color, um, I'm sure, I mean, it still would have been enjoyable, but I think this was a nice, um, you know, a nice in between. Yeah. 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 Absolutely. And, and again, I don't know so much about like 1960s era, um, stuff. Although, you know, I do collect a lot of artwork, um, from that era and before it. And so I don't know if like a monochromatic palette like this, where they just use the one color to advantage was common. And maybe that was what he was picking up on in that type of theme where he wanted to set it in the sixties. This is maybe, uh, thematically would go with a book that was from the sixties. I don't know. I, I, I couldn't answer that, but it could be, you know, yeah. his choice there or it could just spend the publisher it's like hey you want to do this we can't do a full color and it costs 15 bucks it's going to be 50 dollars right. <laughs> you know who knows i'm trying to remember and i don't know if you do do you remember what the reaction was to these like at at, at alternate realities at the time or i guess you had moved by that point right you said right so i was living in 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 2009 i would have been living in uh philadelphia so i was not uh working at the store all the time but i was coming and going and I definitely was ordering still the book, so I picked this stuff for sure at the store. I don't remember what the uh, the reaction was. Um, this was definitely after his New Frontier stuff, uh, and I believe a lot of people were Darwin Cook fans from, like you said, Selena's Big Score and um, stuff like New Frontier. I don't think this would have resonated with people as much, to certainly the people who were reading uh, his superhero stuff. I don't even think, correct me if I'm wrong, that his later stuff on the spirit, I don't even think that was very popular uh, either amongst people at the store. Now, I mean, I'm not talking about people in general. I'm talking about just our close-knit comic book shop. I don't think they sold well, if I remembered correctly. Yeah, again, I don't I don't remember super specifically, but I think that's that's about right. Um, and with the Parker books, I mean, again, it's it's been a while. I just, I don't really just remember there being a ton of discussion about it. Maybe there was, and I just wasn't there for it. But uh, I certainly hope there was. And I, I mean, I certainly know that, you know, we yeah. had it at the store and, and I, and I hope it was, it was well received because they're really terrific. Um, you know, and it, it's been such a blast having this conversation. Um, you know, one of the, the thing that really breaks your heart is, you know, you get to the end of Slayground and, you know, you like right at the end, it says, you know, Parker will return in 2015 uh, you know, and, and of course yeah. that, that wouldn't come to pass. Um, so, you know, it's such a shame, not, not because of the book, because of the, the man and his life, of course, but, but that right. really, you know, that really, uh, when I saw that, I was like, oh man, you know, really like a, like a punch to the gut. Um, oh, yeah. you know, but yeah, I mean, it would have been, it would have been wonderful to see him do more of these. Although I don't know, selfishly, it's like, you know, cause I know these take time for him to do. So it's like, I don't know. I would. I don't know that I would have wanted him, uh, you know, uh, just doing because there was so much. Like that's the thing. There was so much that I I would have loved to see him do. Absolutely. Um, I mean, there's I don't know how many Parker novels there are. I know there's much more than these four books. Uh, it's also interesting that no other artists have picked it up. You know, something like you know a, a, an artist's death is not very common that I know of. Like a young guy like Darwin. I mean, I think he was in his fifties, but relatively young to the comics world, right? And so it's surprising almost that 
the, the you know who, who who put these out? IDW. IDW. Interesting that they didn't contact somebody who does something similar. Like, hey, let's do the next Parker that he would have done, uh, and you know continue it on. So maybe maybe they really weren't big sellers for the company, and so they weren't worth pursuing beyond that. But they were doing it because it was Darwin, and this it was what Darwin wanted to work on. You know. Yeah. Uh, well, listen. I appreciate you uh, taking the time to to read these books and the and the book itself. Uh, I think that's oh, that's goodness. really cool. My privilege. Uh, so you and I, I are really going to. That's awesome. Uh, so you and I are going to do a uh, Patreon bonus episode of Extra Credit, the My Comic Shop Book Club companion podcast, and we're going to talk about three issues of Jonah Hex that Darwin yeah. Cook drew. Uh, two issues of Jonah Hex and one issue of All-Star Western featuring Jonah Hex. Uh, and they were a lot of fun to read. I'm excited to talk about that with you. So if anyone wants to listen to us uh, talk about that or watch us in the video version, uh, that'll be on my Patreon page two days after this episode comes out. And, uh, you know, man, if you're game, I'd love to have you back down the line to talk uh, other other Darwin Cook works or others. doesn't have to be Darwin Cook, but yeah. No. Anytime. Uh, I have an extensive collection of stuff. Uh, I don't know if you've ever read uh, Hellboy or uh, Sin City. Great books in their own right. Uh, I mean, I have a whole nother. I mean, I've read the goddamn which, Batman. Is that uh, is that oh sufficient? Oh my goodness! If you, you know, if you ever want to, I, I would love to talk to you more about some of the the offbeat superhero stuff or the independent stuff. That's really what I started. Like I said, I started falling into in my comics journey and I gravitate still to those books. I, I pick up a Batman book every now and again, but I don't feel like the stories are what they used to be when Frank Miller was doing it, you know, or something like that. So, um, I would love to be on the show again, Anthony, any, anytime, uh, just you name your book. I'll read anything. Right on. No, I appreciate that. And, and I, I will take you up on that. And, you know, look, as you know, and I think as listeners have gotten a sense, I mean, my, my tastes generally comic book wise do lean, superhero that being said i mean i love something like gotham central which is set in the superhero oh, yeah. world that but yeah. really does its own thing yeah. um but you know to read something read that actually oh you would love it let's I do really that i would love it you want to do that uh, i'm game i i think there might be some others vying for uh that spot but there's the series okay. is long no 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 the series is long enough that will uh i was planning to do it in multiple episodes anyway so uh okay. but i think you would love it know. but uh, what i was going to say is that um you know, reading this in particular, and this is our first non-Marvel, non-DC reading selection for this book club, and it was, I loved it. You know, hopefully listeners, uh, reviewers have enjoyed, and so, you know, this has definitely, you know, definitely inspired me to try to seek out um, uh, other stuff beyond, you know, I have a lot of superhero stuff that I want to work through that's on my list, but, you know, I'm definitely open to, to other works as well, and, um, you know, if, if there's anything in the vein of this, I think I would dig it, so. Anthony, we'll take it. a look at 100 Bullets. You will not be disappointed. Uh, it's uh, Eduardo Rizzo, and uh, who's the other guy who did it? Um, oh yeah, Azarello. Right? Yeah, Azar Brian Azarello was the uh, did the writing. And so if you if you like them, any of their superhero stuff, uh, which I think they did a Joker story, they might have done a Batman story, really gritty in this kind of almost the world of Parker. That that book, A Hundred Bullets, is very similar to that. You might like it. Right on. Well, Bill, yeah. thank you very much. This really was, uh, this was, I was looking forward to this all week. Yeah. You know, I was excited to talk about Parker, but I was really more just excited to talk to you just to see you. Yeah. Uh, so, so thank yeah, you very great. much. Thank you very much for this. Thank you to uh, everyone who checked out the episode. Again, we have our Patreon bonus episode coming out in two days. We'll be back with uh, an all new episode in two weeks. And until then, remember, they're all imaginary stories. My Comic Shop Book Club is a Flat Squirrel production. 
art by Kristen San Gregorio, music by Basic Printer. If you like what you heard, be sure to check out my other podcasts, Digging for Kryptonite and My Comic Shop History. Sign up for exclusive content, including the official book club companion podcast at patreon.com slash anthonydesiato and watch my documentary film, My Comic Shop Country, out now on Apple TV and Amazon.